Good afternoon and welcome to uh, the Crone Law Firm uh, Facebook Live show. Uh, my name is Alan Crone. I'm the uh, founder and managing partner of uh, the Crone Law Firm here in Memphis, Tennessee. We're an employment law firm and we represent employees, executives, and entrepreneurs in any dispute that affects their ability uh, to make money, whether that involves uh, compensation, uh, overtime, minimum wage, wrongful termination, disputes between business partners, uh, commercial disputes, and uh, hostile work environments and sexual harassment, which is what we're going to talk about today. Uh, I appreciate everybody joining us uh, on a Friday afternoon, which is atypical. Normally, we're doing these on Thursday, but here in Memphis, we've been celebrating uh, and remembering the life uh, and assassination of Dr. Martin Luther King 50 years ago this week. And um, we've uh, been involved in, in that. And uh, yesterday was uh, very uh, uh, hectic for us. So we decided to move that uh, this uh, show to uh, Friday afternoon. But we're going to try to stay with Thursday afternoons, every other Thursday afternoon as we've been doing. Uh, so I appreciate everybody joining us uh, this, this afternoon. Um, uh, you know, in the news and, and uh, uh, in the popular media, there's a lot of talk right now about sexual harassment uh, with uh, things going on with the president of the United States and out in Hollywood, the Me Too movement and all of those things. And we've been getting a lot of calls and a lot of questions about uh, exactly what all of that means for regular people working in uh, jobs uh, all across the country. And so we thought we'd uh, take some time this afternoon uh, to explore four or five uh, frequently asked questions uh, that people have, and uh, hopefully this helps someone. If um, if you have an, an issue like this, I really recommend that you uh, you go see an attorney, whether it's us or somebody else, uh, about it, because each situation is very unique. Each situation is extremely important. It's important that employers um, don't uh, foster an environment of sexual harassment, and it's particularly important that uh, employers don't base uh, hiring, firing, promotion, retention decisions on the basis of sexual harassment or what we in the law call quid pro quo harassment, which is if you do something for me, I'll do something for you. And uh, that's not right. It's illegal. And if you're suffering through that right now, I'm really sorry because uh, I can't imagine how terrible that would be. Uh, but please go, uh, whether it's us or someone else, uh, please go see an attorney about that. Uh, our number here is 901-737-7740. That's 901-737-7740. Or you can email us at firm at com. And of course, our website is com. So uh, without any further ado, let's get into uh, the questions. Uh, the first question is pretty straightforward. What does it mean to be sexually harassed at work? Um, that, again, as I said, that's a, uh, the answer to that question is really kind of a case-by-case -case, uh, scenario because no harasser is the same, no environment is the same, uh, no person is the same. Uh, but basically, uh, sexual harassment is any unwelcome conduct or language um, that uh, affects your ability uh, that's based on your sex that affects your ability to do your job uh, correctly. 
can take many, many formats. Uh, it, it can take uh, the, the format of someone belittling you because of, of your sex or your gender. It can take the form of um, propositioning, uh, comments about your appearance, comments about uh, your sex life. Uh, I've had, um, I had one case uh, several years ago when I first started doing this work where my client was uh, worked for a, a financial trading firm. And one of the witnesses in her sexual harassment trial talked about how she would prepare herself mentally to go on to the male-dominated trading floor. My client was the only female trader, and this particular witness was a uh, trading assistant. And she used to say that before she would open the doors of that trading floor, that she would put on her mental armor so that she could walk that gauntlet and not hear the comments that were being made. And it was very powerful testimony. And so um, I always say if, if you're in a truly sexually harassive uh, environment, um, you, you, there's no way to mistake it. I'm not talking about a joke here and there. I'm not talking about uh, someone complimenting another person on uh, their appearance, although those are kind of gateway uh, conversations that can uh, morph into sexual harassment. But what I'm really talking about are two kinds of things. One is the environment that, that uh, as we've discussed, comments, um, suggestive posters, uh, anything that degrades women or anything that tries to uh, make sex and their sexuality an object. The other uh, is what we have described as quid pro quo sexual harassment. And that is when a supervisor is asking for sexual favors, a supervisor is, uh, is joking or maybe is serious that uh, if you exchange sexual favors, then promotions become easier, uh, that sort of thing. Um, and the two can kind of uh, overlap a little bit because uh, if, if you're getting a lot of attention sexually from a coworker or a supervisor, that uh, can turn into quid pro quo uh, harassment, but it also can be the basis of, a, of a, uh, a claim in and of itself. And so that raises the question, what should I do if I'm being sexually harassed at work? And the answer to that question can be, doing it can be very, very difficult because the answer is you need to report it. If it's uh, a coworker, or if it's a coworker particularly, the law requires that you report it to the, the company so that they can take appropriate action. And that if you don't, it's like it never happened and as far as the company is concerned. Uh, because if you can't prove that the company knew about it, then um, there's no obligation on the part of the company uh, to, to try to uh, remedy the situation, and therefore you don't have a claim against the company um, if you decide to bring an EEOC charge or, or a lawsuit. If it's a supervisor, then um, you may or may not, depending upon the circumstance, you may or may not have to uh, alert the company beforehand, say before you go uh, outside, although that's, it still is a good idea. I always say you want to give the company the ability to, to do what's right. And again, that's going to depend on your particular circumstance because uh, companies uh, that of a certain size, you know, several hundred employees that have a, a robust and mature um, uh, human resources department, uh, they're going to they're react to these sorts of complaints differently 
than a smaller uh, operation where the person that you're that is the harasser may be the person you'd be expected to uh, report it to, whether it's uh, the owner of the company or a senior manager or uh, the, the brother of the owner of the company or, or what have you. So uh, in that circumstance where you're not comfortable, uh, I would reach out to an employment lawyer and tell them your situation and get some advice on exactly how to proceed. Because the first step uh, is to to stand up to it. And, and the first step might be just to let the person know that you're talking to or that's dealing with you. Look, I don't appreciate this at all. Maybe put it in an email. You know, the comments that you've been making lately about me I, make me feel uncomfortable and I wish you would stop. Uh, and then maybe you copy your supervisor HR on that email. And if they continue, then you can go to HR or your supervisor and say, you know, I tried to take care of this uh, informally, but that didn't work. Now I need more formal um, help uh, in order to take care of this situation. Um, and if the, the company uh, turns a blind eye to it or doesn't agree with uh, your complaint or they do an investigation and tell you, well, we investigated it and we can't find any evidence, so we're not going to do anything, then you really may want to consider going to the EEOC or going to uh, the um, uh, a private attorney uh, for some intervention at, at that point. Um, and again, depending upon your circumstance, a private attorney might uh, recommend, well, let us let's just write a letter and see if that doesn't take care of it so that you can escalate towards filing uh, an EEOC uh, complaint. And uh, uh, by the way, EEOC, uh, sometimes uh, we lawyers talk in, uh, in acronyms, but uh, it stands for the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission. And that's the federal agency that's tasked, among other things, with investigating claims of, of sexual harassment. Um, the, uh, the next question is, how are bullying and sexual harassment similar? And that's a really good question because uh, all sexual harassment, you could probably qualify as bullying, but not all bullying uh, is sexual harassment. I mean, the first, uh, the first uh, distinguishing characteristic is um, to be sexual harassment, it has to be uh, aimed uh, at your sex or your sexuality. So if uh, you have someone who bullies everybody, male, female, uh, then that may not be sexual harassment. It may not even be illegal uh, under the federal employment statutes at all if, he, if that bullying is aimed at um, everyone indiscriminately or many people indiscriminately. Um, but if it's aimed at just at women or just uh, at men uh, because of their sexuality, then um, that becomes a basis for, for sexual harassment. And um, I see a lot of people who come to see me who are in abusive, uh, it's the only word I can use to describe it, uh, employment relationships with a supervisor or coworker um, where uh, they're suffering uh, a really egregious conduct uh, that's not illegal uh, as far as the company is concerned. The company isn't culpable uh, because it's not aimed at them because of their inclusion in a protected category. Um, so not all bullying, uh, not all hostile work environments uh, are actionable or illegal, but all that are uh, aimed at you because of your sex or sexuality uh, can be uh, sexual harassment. Uh, and it has to be persuasive and it has to be unwelcome. 
So sometimes a defense to sexual harassment is that the uh, victim allegedly participated uh, in the uh, the conduct. Uh, you know, if it's jokes or if it's sexual talk um, or if it's a consensual uh, affair, uh, then um, it's not the defense will be it's not unwelcome. Uh, and then the other um, the other uh, part of of that is it has to be persuasive, uh, pervasive. It can't just be uh, the, what they call a stray comment. It can't be once every so often. And uh, I find it's very helpful if clients will uh, keep a diary or a journal of what happened so that they can remember the details later. Uh, frequently, I've seen in depositions where uh, clients have been asked, well, tell me uh, every time this happened and they think and they can only remember three or four occasions and they're really subject to dismissal uh, because they can't prove that the conduct was pervasive, uh, particularly when the harasser, and this frequently occurs, where the harasser waits until it's just the victim and the harasser uh, together. So there are no witnesses. That's another time when the, the victim really needs to have a good recall and to be able to describe in detail what happened. Um, even if it's a just a statement that, well, this happened all the time, I can give you a few examples, but it happened daily or it happened uh, twice a day or, you know, once every couple hours. Uh, the more often that the conduct uh, happened, uh, the more likely it is to be actionable uh, as sexual harassment. Um, the next question is, what is the EEOC, the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, and what does it have to do with sexual harassment? Well, the federal law, Title VII of the Civil Rights Act of 1964 is what governs uh, these interactions and makes this conduct illegal. And that act requires that any uh, claim that's going to be brought under the act has to be brought first at the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission. They are charged with uh, investigating uh, the conduct, and uh, deciding whether or not they themselves will prosecute or give you what's called a right to sue letter. And then you can go get a private attorney and bring your own private lawsuit. Uh, in recent years, the EEOC has also added another very important service, and that's an early mediation service. And mediation is a process by which a neutral party helps two folks, uh, two parties to a dispute resolve their dispute. And I have found that frequently, uh, whether it's a, a sexual harassment situation or a wrongful termination, uh, that, that mediations done at the appropriate time uh, can be a very, very effective way to resolve the dispute. Uh, sometimes, uh, if you try to do it too early, when both sides don't understand the claims, it, it may not be effective. But uh, more often than not, if both parties come to the mediation uh, prepared to uh, resolve the dispute uh, in a reasonable way, uh, the EEOC mediation process and other private mediation processes can be very, very effective. So frequently what will happen is the, uh, the victim will file a charge with the EEOC, and that has to be done within 180 days in some jurisdictions or 300 days in others. For example, Tennessee is a what we call a referral jurisdiction. So um, victims have 300 days to file an EEOC charge uh, 
in Tennessee, but only 180 days in Mississippi and Arkansas and some other states. So that's another reason to, to do some investigation, some research, or contact a lawyer about it so you know what the, what the deadlines are. Uh, but once you file your charge, then um, uh, it, sometimes the claim will be assigned to a mediator before it goes through the investigations unit, and they'll attempt to mediate and reconcile the case that way. If um, either of the parties chooses not to uh, uh, participate in mediation, or um, you mediate the case and it just doesn't resolve for whatever reason, then it goes to the investigative arm of the EEOC. That's a, a different, usually on a different floor of the building. Um, and the investigators then will uh, review the complaint, review the response of the uh, respondent, the, the, the company. Um, they may do an on-site investigation. They may ask for more documents. They'll interview. Uh, the uh, the victim, the complainant, and uh, then they'll issue either a determination uh, that there's a, a violation or they'll issue a determination that they were unable to find a violation and give you authorize the victim uh, through a right to sue letter to bring their own lawsuit. And uh, then uh, the, the case can either proceed in state or federal court uh, depending upon the circumstance. So um, EEOC has a very crucial role to play statutorily. As a practical matter, I'll say that the EEOC's resources are, are very limited, and so they, uh, uh, they really pick and choose the kind of cases that they take. Uh, sometimes they pick the, the best cases, but more often than not, the EEOC says, okay, we're going to really focus on certain kinds of cases, and that's what they're on the lookout for, and then they release all the other cases that via right to sue letters. Uh, so if you receive a right to sue letter, don't assume that it, your case doesn't have any merit because the EEOC didn't want to file the case on your behalf. I've been doing this almost 30 years and I can count on one hand the number of cases I've been involved in where the EEOC has uh, filed a lawsuit and prosecuted the case themselves. It's very, very rare. Uh, most people uh, end up pursuing the case via a private lawyer or on their own. Um, the, the final question is, what should my supervisor and company do after I complain about sexual harassment? The law requires them to take prompt, appropriate, remedial measures. And what that means is uh, the company should do an investigation. And if they determine that there was a violation, then they should address that situation. And that can be done in a variety of ways. And I'll be honest with you and say that frequently my clients are um, less than overwhelmed with uh, the company's choice of prompt, appropriate remedial measures. And they disagree. They don't think they go far enough. And sometimes they're right and sometimes uh, they're wrong about that. But what you want the, the company to do is to address your complaint in, in a good faith way uh, that's calculated to remove uh, the offensive conduct and to, to uh, create a better uh, working environment. And uh, that can take the forms of a, of a lot of things. One is it can uh, take the form of a discipline against the alleged harasser. Uh, it can uh, include uh, training for the, um, uh, the, the unit uh, uh, at issue or for the whole company for that matter. Um, there could be some 
uh, financial uh, component to it, although that's very rare um, in the prompt, appropriate remedial measure uh, uh, forum, but it sometimes does happen. Uh, sometimes back pay or promotion pay is appropriate if uh, the company determines that um, you were disciplined or uh, denied a promotion uh, uh, improperly and that it cost you money. And sometimes companies will reimburse you for that sort of thing. And that's definitely something that you should ask for in your complaint if uh, if and when they ask you, well, what what is your goal? What's your appropriate remedial measure here? Uh, one thing I'll say that uh, is not universal, but things that I frequently see is I think many times victims have an expectation that the company will come back to them and report on the outcome of uh, their investigation or report to them on what the uh, appropriate remedial measures were. And the law is a little murky on whether they're required to do that. I can tell you that frequently uh, companies don't uh, make those reports back. And I think it's a mistake, uh, at least on the level that uh, frequently victims find out only much later that uh, the company took certain actions. And if they had known that the company had taken those actions early on, they may have been less um, uh, inclined to pursue uh, legal action. Um, so companies aren't required to, they're not, re and they're also not required necessarily uh, to uh, maintain a, a high level of confidentiality. And, I, and I'll say that that's a tough road for a, for a well-meaning company to, to walk because they, their, their inclination is they want this to be confidential. They don't want to smear the name of either the uh, victim or the uh, uh, alleged harasser. Uh, but over the course of the investigation, uh, that can be hard to, to keep that confidential if the questions suggest uh, what has been going on or everybody knows what's been going on because um, it's just a notorious situation in, in, uh, in the company or in the unit. So uh, I find frequently that my clients have um, pre-existing expectations on the level of confidentiality, and sometimes those expectations uh, conflict because they expect a lot of confidentiality for themselves, um, but they, they uh, don't expect a lot of confidentiality for the harasser. In other words, they want to know what happened uh, to the harasser. Uh, so it's it, sometimes we have to really have long conversations about that. Uh, again, every situation is different and uh, that's something that you want to talk to your lawyer about uh, and get that out on the table uh, sooner rather than later. Because again, I find that uh, sometimes when those expectations aren't met in the way that the, my client expects them to be met, that causes problems later on with uh, resolving the case because uh, my client has some unresolved uh, issues uh, related to the way they were treated uh, with regards to the to the investigation and the way the the case was handled, uh, particularly if they're not given um, a report on the outcome, and you know weeks or months go by and nothing happens, and frequently people translate that into, well, I made this complaint, nothing ever happened about it. Um, well, that may not be accurate. Uh, all too often, frequently, uh, that's exactly what happened. They made the complaint and nothing happened about it. Um, but I, sometimes I find that uh, the company did, in fact, take some appropriate remedial action, but they, for whatever reason, decided not to tell 
the uh, the complainant about it, and um, and in fact, in some cases, even stiff armed them and said, "We're not going to we're not going dis- to discuss any of this with you. Thank you for your complaint, and we'll get back to you if we need to get back to you." So um, that's the main thing that companies are required to do is to take that uh, quick, prompt, appropriate remedial action, and that may, if they do that, then that may mean that no matter how bad the pre-complaint um, conduct was, that there's no uh, complaint going forward if the conduct stopped as of that complaint. In a future uh, broadcast, we'll talk about retaliation, which is uh, something everybody is concerned about. Uh, companies are required not to retaliate if you make a cl- uh, complaint, um, but frequently, uh, there are issues that come out of those complaints that people perceive as retaliation, and that's a separate claim, that's a separate situation, and we can deal with those in a uh, uh, upcoming uh, broadcast. Again, this is Alan Crone. I'm the managing uh, partner at uh, the Crone Law Firm, an employment law firm in Memphis, Tennessee. We represent employees, executives, and entrepreneurs in work-related or business-related disputes. And uh, I hope uh, that you all have a, a great weekend, and I look forward to seeing you on our next broadcast.